Friday morning at 7.15, I had a unique opportunity. Uh, Marie, is, are you in here? Good. That fits what I'm going to say about her. She's out there making people feel welcome. <laughs> Marie, for those of you who know her, works in the Prescott Lakes neighborhood of Prescott. And she takes residents regularly on hikes out in the woods. And she invited me along for the one this past Friday morning. Uh, so I could meet some of those folks. And Eric and his wife Sue went. There were about 40 people. And uh, one of the things that's interesting about our area, I don't know if you're aware of how quickly things are growing. Uh, in that group of 40, uh, we went around and said our names and how long we'd been here. And I'm telling you, 30 of those 40 people, seems like, have been le- here less than a year. <laughs> Moved here from, from somewhere else. Lots of new people. Uh, looking for connections and relationships. So we're out hiking through the woods. And Marie's a great, great leader. I mean, she, she takes us to this place in the middle of the woods that I had never seen before. It was beautiful. It was this really old-looking fireplace just out there. You know, big square fireplace with the hearth and nothing else around it. And uh, she said she had been trying to find out from the rangers and other people what the historical significance of this was, but she hadn't heard yet, and I I got her. (laughs) She had her whole group of 40 people around and said, Marie, I said, Marie, I know uh, the significance of that fireplace. If you look around at all the pine trees, this was the first fireplace that Santa Claus came down. I don't think she'll ever trust me again. <laughs> but one of the things that made, makes Marie a great hike leader is I, I noticed about her as she led. She wasn't only focused on getting us where we needed to go. She also cares a lot about the people in her group. So there were different times where I had the privilege of seeing her connect with people in the group. You know, she would talk with them about whatever was on their mind. One lady was talking about a water filter for their house. Is it good to water my plants with the filtered water? There's Marie connecting with her for five minutes, building that relationship. There, there are a number of people with dogs. And Marie's got a sick dog right now, so pray for her dog. Marie's connecting with them about their dogs. She's connecting with other people about organic fruit. There's something called the Dirty Dozen that I had never known about. And you know about the Dirty Dozen and organic fruit? The idea is organic fruit is expensive, and if you're only can afford some organic fruit. These 12 things are the things you should buy organic. All that to say, she was okay with the... (laughs) Yeah, check with Marie after service. (laughs) All that to say, she was okay with the interruptions that came along. She wasn't only focused on where we were going. She was okay with those interruptions because in those interruptions, she finds relationship. and, And she's just a great people person. She shines the light of Jesus Uh, brightly. And that's some of what I want to look at in the life of Jesus himself this morning. As we look at a story in Luke chapter 13, Jesus was open to interruption. He was always looking for the lost and the broken. I use the word interruption, but how many of you know that it's possible to look at one thing and two different people look at the same thing and they see it very differently? I'll give you an example. See, I look at our two boys, Jaden and Evan, and Carolyn and I are raising them to be Cleveland sports fans. <laughs> Cavaliers, Browns, Indians. And if you know anything, we haven't won a national championship in 51 plus years. Okay? 
So when we look at what we're doing, we look at it as, hey, we're raising them to be faithful. <laughs> Committed. Other people look at it. I had one guy on Facebook accuse us of child abuse for raising them as Cleveland fans. We look at it very differently. I think that's true of the word interruption because part of what I want to get at this morning is what we may see as an interruption. I think often God looks at and defines it as a divine appointment. We say interruption. He says, no, divine appointments. Jesus was open to interruption. He was always looking for the lost and the broken. Check this out in Luke chapter 13, verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. That's where the Jews gathered to worship. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Well, Jesus is there teaching. He looks out and there's this lady bent over. And she's been bent over that way for 18 years because of a spirit's influence in her life. Sickness is not always the result of demonic activity, but sometimes it is. And you look at that number, 18 years. Some of you know what that kind of waiting is like. You've, you've been going through something for a long time. And you know what it's like to wait and pray and hope and still continue to go through what you're going through. Imagine 18 years, she could not straighten herself up. I love that she continued to go to the synagogue for 18 years despite that. Now sure, on the one hand, the synagogue was the hub of life, so that's part of it, I'm sure, but isn't there a part of it where it would have been easy after five or six years for her to say, you know what, God doesn't care about me. To believe that He had given up on her and to say, I'm not going to that synagogue because I've prayed and prayed and prayed. She kept going, didn't she? Last week we talked about that if faith that says, if things go well, follow you. If things are peachy, I'll worship you. And then we talked about the though faith. Though I'm going through this trial, I will hold on to you. She had that though kind of faith. She continued to come. What I love in this story is verse 12. Jesus is up there teaching. It says, when Jesus saw her, saw her. I'm going to come back to camp on that phrase in just a moment. He's teaching. He saw her. He called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And he put his hands on her. And immediately she straightened up and praised God. I want to talk about a Savior who sees. Okay? Savior who's opened interruptions. How easy would it be? I know this as a teacher. It's easy to get up here and say, I just need to get through my notes. If I do that, we're done. No. No, Jesus knows that there's more to it than that. There's a love for the, the folks that are listening. There's a love for the people in our lives. Jesus is up there teaching, reading from the Old Testament scroll and then talking about it. Yet even as he's teaching, he notices and, and he calls her forward. And he heals her. How many of you have heard of Howard Hendricks or Bruce Wilkinson? A number of you. Howard Hendricks is one of the greatest Bible teachers ever. He taught for a long time at Dallas Theological Seminary. I've read his book, Living by the Book, which is one of the best books on how to study the Bible I've ever come across. Just a real clear communicator. 
he taught Bruce Wilkinson in college. And Bruce Wilkinson wrote a book called The Seven Laws of the Learner. Laws that help you as you teach people who are learning. And one of the things he, he wrote about in there was his time in Howard Hendricks' class. Howard Hendricks engaged the people that he taught. He wasn't only concerned with getting through his notes. He loved the people in his class. So after being in four years of Howard Hendricks' classes, Bruce Wilkinson said that one day he wanted to test this out. So he wanted to see what would happen if he wasn't paying attention, if Howard would notice. So there's 30 students in the class, and Bruce determines that as hard as it is to do this, because Howard's a dynamic teacher, I'm going to stare out the window the whole time. And Howard had his normal procedure that he would go through. He would get up there and start with a, a great one-liner that would capture everybody. A couple minutes in, he would tell a joke. About eight to ten minutes in, he would write on the whiteboard. And Bruce Wilkinson was expecting that. But as he looked out the window, he noticed something. Howard started with his usual one-liner, but he moved the joke up earlier. And then he went to the whiteboard at only three minutes instead of ten minutes. And then he walked over to the aisle where Bruce Wilkinson was on the corner looking out the window and was staring at, at Bruce from the front, trying to make eye contact. And finally, at 3 minutes and 37 seconds, he says, Howard Hendricks walks down the aisle to where he's sitting and says, Bruce, what is so interesting outside that window? <laughs> and what he talked about was how Howard Hendricks could not stand if he wasn't connecting with one of his students. That's, that's how much he cared about his students. He was open to that interruption because he cared more about the students than getting through some, some checklist. He was open to that. That's the way Jesus was. He cared about those who were listening to him. Roy, you didn't know I was going to put you on the spot. Roy's a basketball coach in town that does boys camps and my boy Jaden is in his camp right now. And I watched him. He's good, man. Of course, he's my boy, but man, he's good. But one thing I noticed about Roy, and after just two practices, is, you know, Roy runs him through a bunch of different kinds of drills, basic skills, you know, rebounding and layups. And one of them was pivot. You know, you put one foot down and you can do the two, three, four. That's how Roy does it, right? Four, three, two, one. You've got to keep that one foot stationary, though. And one of the things I noticed, even though there's 15 kids in that class, Roy would notice if one of the kids wasn't getting it. And he would go over to the kid and say, Let, let's do that again. Make Make sure that foot's down there. He, he cares about the individual students, not just getting through his, his camp. Jesus cares about the individuals that are watching. And listen, that's the whole theme of this book of Luke. He saw this woman, and he called her forward. You know, our sermon series is called The Son of Man Came to Seek and Save the Lost. Listen to this overview of just a couple verses from the book and see if you don't fall in love with Jesus the Seeker. Again, chapter 5. Jesus saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Chapter 7. There's a widow with a son who just died. They're carrying him out of the town. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. He went on to raise her son from the dead. The sinful woman who crashed a dinner at a Pharisee's house. She's wetting his feet with her tears. He says to the Pharisee, do you see this woman? Because he did. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Woman sick for 12 years that Pastor Aaron preached about a couple weeks ago. Touches him in this massive crowd. He's not content just to walk on through. He says, who was it that touched me? 
I perceive that power has gone out from me. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He had to make that personal connection because he loved her. The parable of the Good Samaritan. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw the man who had been attacked, he had compassion on him. I'll keep going. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? The woman who loses a coin in Luke 15, she seeks diligently for the coin. The father of the prodigal son, Jesus says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Zacchaeus, little short Zacchaeus who had climbed the tree. As Jesus got to the tree, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. His love for the city of Jerusalem says, When he drew near the city, he saw the city, he wept over it. As he's walking down the Via Dolorosa, the road of suffering with the cross on his back, some women are there weeping for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves. Even with the cross on his back, after a whipping, He is focused on the suffering that's going to come to Jerusalem because of their disobedience. And on the cross itself, eyes turned outward. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If there's ever a moment where, naturally speaking, he should have been totally consumed with what he was going through, was it not the cross? We would have excused him for that, would we not? And still he looks out. Seeking, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And I look at his example. Number one, it makes me want to say, Jesus, thank you for seeking after me. Thank you that despite my sin and despite my failure, you came after me to bring me to where I trust in you. And second, it leads me to ask, do I have those same kind of eyes? Am I open to the interruptions in my life? Are you, as you go to work this week, as you jump into your schedule in your neighborhood, are you open to the interruptions? Are you looking for the lost and the broken? That's how we reflect our Savior. So that's the first point. He was open to interruption. And the second of the two, I want to look at two things that keep us from seeing people as Jesus sees them. How many of you struggle with that sometimes like I do? It's hard. It's easy to talk about in here, but then you get out there in the real world and there's all kinds of conflict and different personality types and emotions and communication that doesn't happen like you thought it was going to happen. Two things that keep us from seeing people as Jesus does. Man-made rules and misplaced priorities. We're going to unpack those in just a minute. But first, let me read what the synagogue leader did. He just witnessed a woman who he had had coming to his synagogue for 18 years healed. Okay? That's the the backdrop. Verse 14. Indignant. You know what that word means, right? Angry. Upset. Ticked off. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. The synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Amazing. 
Amazing misfire, isn't it? (laughs) You've just seen a woman healed. And all you can do is rebuke the crowd. He doesn't even have the guts to rebuke Jesus. He says to the people, if you need healed, don't come here on the Sabbath. Man-made rules had gotten in the way of him seeing that woman as Jesus saw her. What was going on? God instituted the Sabbath, right? In the Old Testament, that was from God. He said, and Jesus told us that was for man to rest. It was actually a gift in a lot of ways. It's for you to rest. But man added rules to the Sabbath and it became a burden. And check this out. In this case, if the synagogue ruler's rules had been followed, it would have prevented God from working. I don't ever want to be in that place where my rules get in the way of God working or me partnering with Him in His work. Do you? And yet, if, if we're honest, there are ways we do this. I, I thought about my own life this week and I thought, where are places where I'm tempted to do this? And I want you to think about your life. Where are situations where your rules, your way of doing things, gets in the way of God doing what He wants to do through you? One for me, I was, I was thinking about uh, sermon prep this week. I love preaching. I believe in preaching. I believe in preaching the Word of God. But sometimes pastors fall into a trap where the sermon becomes the only thing that matters. The only thing that matters. And so it, it creates some choices when, when opportunities come up. This week, Marie invited me on that hike. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to tell you about a pastor struggle. (laughs) All right? I'm thinking about the sermon. And I've got sermon prep. But God's working on me saying, you know what, Scott? There's there's people in this community that that need a connection with the church. That need a connection with Jesus. It it took a little bit of a struggle, you know, a couple weeks ago when he asked me. But check this out. (laughs) He, He worked on me and said, you know what? that is every bit as important as your sermon prep. Engaging these folks. And we got out there. Marie was so gracious. She actually got to a point where we paused and she said, hey, this is my pastor. I'm going to let him tell you about our church for a little bit. And I I didn't know she was going to do that. (laughs) So I told her, I'll cut you your check after the hike. It was very cool. I think we can sometimes do that when it comes to Sometimes as Christians, we get this idea that I should spend all my time with other Christians. And then when we do that, what do we do? We miss the opportunities to engage the world that we're here to preach the gospel to. Is it good to spend time with other Christians? Oh yeah. That's part of why we have missional communities, these small groups. And you can ask me more about them if you'd like to get plugged into one. And so we can gather together. But it's also so that as a group that gathers together, we can go into our world. Our missional community is about to start back up from a summer break, and some of you guys back there who are in it don't know this yet, so don't throw anything. I'm thinking about presenting an idea for this fall to our group about something called a third place. A third place is you hang out at church, you hang out at home, and the third place is somewhere in the community where we all regularly hang out. And I want us as a group to process what that third place is going to be. One of the ideas I had was like a, a D-League volleyball team at the YMCA. Or to just go down to as many square events as we can. Just 
Prescott Idol down there. Me and my family went last week. It was awesome. They have bands and everything. You name it. Where is that third place that we can engage the community? Because listen, if getting together and studying the Bible is all we do, we've taken something good and missed what God called us to, to go into the world and make disciples, right? Don't let our man-made rules keep us from seeing people like Jesus. Do you have any man-made rules or ways of living that have kept you from seeing people like Jesus sees them? Let the Holy Spirit probe that in you this week and let Him weed those out. Man-made rules. The second one was misplaced priorities. And what I mean by this is we put things above people. Sometimes it's a schedule. Sometimes it's an object. Jesus looks at the crowd. Evidently, some of them agreed with this synagogue ruler. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites. You know what a hypocrite is? It's someone that looks like one thing, but underneath is really something else. I want to show you a visual of something that looks like one thing and is really something else underneath. Check this out. A lot of lawns are turning brown with new strict water rules. Even though we're going to get some rain, those rules are brought in by the drought. But a local man found the fountain of youth when it comes to keeping your lawn green during dry times. So how is he doing it without using very, very much water? Well, CBS 13's Ian Schwartz is live in Sacramento with how he's doing it. How's he doing it, Ian? Hey, Dave. Well, hey, it's not me. That's uh, above my pay grade. But you talked about brown lawns. This is kind of the new look here in California. This is the neighbor's lawn behind me. But let's scoot over to the right here. Look at this lush emerald lawn. Well, how was it done? It was done with paint. If you drove by Bill Schaefer, you might give him a strange look, too. On any given afternoon, you'll find him swaying back and forth. This brown lawn, his canvas, and this shiny nozzle, his paintbrush. The Degas of drought, if you will. That's pretty impressive. I gotta say, I haven't seen anything like it before. I've seen the fake grass. Well, one night I said to my girlfriend, um, you know, people are gonna have to start painting their lawns green if they want green lawns this summer. And Bill, who's always been an idea man and entrepreneur, quickly got to work forming his new company, Brown Lawn Green. That was two months ago. And now these hoses aren't pumping water, but coloring, as Bill calls it. And if you have a lot of questions, don't worry, we did too. I guess my consideration too would be, you know, for, for animals, yeah. um, so toxic or not, because the, yeah. the little one eats grass. Right. Um, I, I'm sure the big one does too. Bill says the paint is non-toxic, made up of stone pigments and oil that help it bind to the grass. Safe for the family dog or kids to play on. The paint lasts about six weeks, depending on how fast you cut your grass and how often you trim it. In July, you should be able to get about six weeks to eight weeks out of it because you're not cutting your yard as much. So far, Bill has had a couple dozen people decide to go green. And after he finished this lawn, it was really hard to tell the grass had been painted. The idea might be somewhat new here, but Bill is not the first guy to paint grass. Golf courses have been doing it for uh, quite a while, actually. Bill says to paint a lawn this size will run you around two to three hundred dollars. Well worth the price, he says, to save water while making your neighbors green with envy. You know, I kind of call it the ten-footer. So ten feet away, it actually looks like a natural green lawn, like you just water the heck out of it. 
and actually standing right above this thing, it does look like normal lawn, a little bit dry when you touch it. But I asked Bill, I said, Bill, what happens if it starts raining like crazy next year? Uh, will this be all for naught? He says, no, even um, golf courses during mm -hmm. the wet season will use this type of product. You know, those edges that the sprinkler just can't get. He says it's a great way to get that picture perfect lawn. Well, I love it, Ian, a guy making green off of some green. All right, thank you so much, sir. Hey. <laughs> And if you're going to get online and check that out, one of the things I noticed that he talked about in there was the, t he called it the 10-footer. Uh, from 10 feet away, it looked really green and lush, alive. And even as you stand on top of it and look down, it has that look. But do you remember what he said? It, you could tell it was dry and it was crunchy. And I thought about that, and I think that's, Part of what Jesus is doing here when he calls these people hypocrites, he's saying, your synagogue looks really good from 10 feet away. You know, you go through all these rituals and stuff and people think you're holy. And you even think you care about God above everything. But really, as we saw in the first point, you care about your rules more than you care about what God's doing. And what he's about to show them here, you pretend to care about people, but really you care more about your animals of all things. Watch this. You hypocrites. You're going off on Jesus about healing this woman. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? It's like, look. They, they even made special rules to allow that to happen so you could water your animals on the Sabbath without getting in trouble because they care about their animals. He's like, you care about watering your ox, but here's a... A woman, watch what he says, should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, how valuable she is, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? You care more about your ox than you care about people. <laughs> There's something wrong with this picture. And I thought about that today. You know, there's the animal application. Okay, God says it's, uh, the righteous man cares for the needs of his animals. But if you love your dog more than you love people, you need to spend some time with God about that. Say, God, fix my heart. <laughs> people are created in the image of God. He says this woman was a daughter of Abraham. That means she's important. All people are created in the image of God. God loves them, so should I. But there's also the other aspect of it, because some of us don't have pets. We don't have a dog because our son's got allergies really bad ones. But what, what's the equivalent of an ox today? <laughs> it could be a motorcycle. Yeah, I, I, was, I was thinking about vehicles, you know. And I just want to give you a practical example of someone that put their priorities in the right place this week. Because uh, I see this a lot in our, our church. I want to encourage you guys. I see you guys putting the priorities in the right place a lot of times. This week, Noah and Jill left for Phoenix yesterday. We prayed over them last week. They moved down there. And a big part of their missional community came together, helped them load at 10 o'clock up here. And check this out. There's one couple in the missional community that even drove down to Phoenix to help them unload at 3.30 in the afternoon in Phoenix. <laughs> I guess they wanted to jump in whole hog to that Phoenix weather. They were unloading down there at 3.30. But I thought about this couple that went down with them. Taylor and Erica, how easy, how many, how many excuses are available? All the wear and tear on the car. It's, it's 111 degrees. 
all these things, but they put their love for Noah and Jill above all that, realizing they're more valuable. They're children of God. And they went down to serve them. And I, I look at that, and I, I look at the, the video, and I just want to ask, what about us this morning? Are we really alive? Are we really rooted in the water of Jesus and vibrant in His grace? Allowing His grace and His Spirit to cause us to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. Or are we the ten-footer, the hypocrite that looks good? But if you could really get into our heart, there's no life at all. I see a lot of life in here. Janice is about to move to California. I know Liz right next to her, near the end of your time renting, needed a place to go. And Liz said, hey, you can come stay with me for a couple of weeks. That's a sign of life. And hey, I love you. You're my sister. You know, it's a small apartment, right? <laughs> come on in. I understand you guys had a great time. It's like a two-week sleepover. Last week, we took a special offering for our missionaries to the Philippines. And as a church, all together, we're going to send them a check to, for $750 to help bless the radio ministry over there. I see that as a sign of life. This morning, they don't know it. I didn't know they were going to be here this morning, but I'd like to uh, let you say hi again to Chris and Brianna after service. They're going to be here till August 31st. They're our missionaries to Asia. And I'm sure as they're here, we'll be praying about how's God leading us to bless them again. But we've got to ask ourselves those questions. Are there any ways of living that get in the way, any rules that I've made that keep me from seeing people as Jesus sees them? And are there any misplaced priorities that keep me from putting people where they deserve to be? Do I see people as created in the image of God? They're valuable based only on that, and that's every person in this world. And for brothers and sisters in the body, do I see them and treat them as though they are in Christ with me? I hope so. I hope so. It says, when he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. They had nothing else to say. He brought out the animal card. They had, they had nowhere to go. You care more about your animals than you do about this woman. They were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. The truth is the, the crippled woman herself is a great picture of what can happen when we get paralyzed by man-made rules and legalism and, and trying to get to God in our own strength where when he healed her, it's a great picture of grace. When we receive Jesus and his grace floods our lives, we're now able to go out and do things that we could never do before in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to close with a story that I think shows the powerful impact it can have when we're open to what's going on in front of us and we're sensitive to the lost and broken people around us. Bruce Wilkinson tells this story. Teddy Stallard was described by him truly as one of the least of these. The fifth grade student, he's one of those boys that was unmotivated, wouldn't make eye contact with the teacher, came in with his hair, Messed up every day, his clothes all wrinkled. Never made expressions with his face. Never made eye contact with the teacher. When she asked him a question, it would be the, the one syllable, the, the grunt. And his teacher, Miss Thompson, admitted that Teddy was hard to like. 
And she actually admitted, this is a true story, that when she would grade his papers, she took perverse pleasure in marking his questions wrong. <laughs> when she put an F on a paper, she would do it with a special flair. You know, Teddy just wasn't fun to teach. Well, she even said even though she would claim to love all the students in her class, it wasn't really true. But Miss Thompson knew more about Teddy than she would readily admit. She got reports about his first four years of school. First grade report said Teddy shows promise with his work and his attitude, but poor home situation. Second grade report said Teddy could do better. Mother is seriously ill. He receives little help at home. Third grade report said Teddy is a good boy, but too serious. He's a slow learner. His mother died this year. Fourth grade report said Teddy is very slow, but well behaved. His father shows no interest. Well, Christmas comes at the school, and all the kids are bringing their presents to the teacher. And Teddy brings in this package. It's just a brown paper bag taped with tons of scotch tape and, and he gives it to his teacher and she opens it up and, and inside there's this gaudy rhinestone bracelet with some of the jewels that had fallen out and a cheap partially used bottle of perfume and all the kids start to laugh Miss Thompson being an intuitive teacher she puts the bracelet on she sprays some of the perfume on and she says thank you Teddy this is, this is beautiful thank you and the kids stopped laughing. At the end of the day, Teddy walked over to her and he said, Miss Thompson, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mother. And her bracelet looks real pretty on you too. I'm glad you like my presence. When Teddy left class that day, Miss Thompson literally dropped down on her knees and asked God for forgiveness for the way she had been treating him all those weeks and years. And Wilkinson goes on to say she became a new teacher, an agent of God, committed to meet her students where they're at and everything they're going through. He graduated from her class, and she didn't hear anything from Teddy for a long time. But then years later, she started to get some letters. When he was a senior, he wrote her, said, Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to know I'll be Graduating second in my class. Love, Teddy. A few years later, she got another one. Dear Miss Thompson, I'll be graduating first in my class at university. I wanted you to be the first to know. It has not been easy, but I like it. A few years later, she got another letter that said, As of today, I am Theodore Stallard, M.D. I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm getting married next month. I want you to come and sit where my mother would sit if she were alive. You're the only family I have now. Dad died last year. Love, Teddy. Miss Thompson went and sat right where his mom would have sat. You see, and you know why, he, why she had that impact, right? She was able to look a little deeper. See what's going on in Teddy's life and how can I meet him where he's at. If she could do that with education, can we not do that with Jesus? as we look at the people in our lives and in our paths. Don't see them as interruptions. See them as divine appointments. And put our priorities where Jesus had them. Love God with all my heart.
soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. Father, I thank you for our Savior of compassion. And we saw it in the life of this, this woman. And we've all seen it in our lives. Lord, if there's anyone here that has not yet met that Savior of compassion, I pray that they would this morning, that they would know there's a Savior who, who came to take their sin upon Himself and give His very life because He loved them so much. If they would only trust in Him, He would be that water of life, that bread of life. He would come into their life and fill them with the Spirit and enable them to live as He lived. Make an impact like He made an impact. God, I pray for all of us in this room, for anyone that needs that special touch from Him this morning, that they would sense that right now. The Savior coming to them, meeting them where they are. And I'm with you. I love you. I see you. Maybe he'll remove the trial like he did with this one. Maybe he'll say, I'll walk through this with you. Lord, please let your touch be felt. Just as you touch that woman, let your touch be felt this morning. And let us go out of here a people that live out that, that same powerful touch of grace in a world that needs you. Father, I pray that even as we collect our offering this morning, that we would use that for that purpose. That we would preach your word in this room and sing praises to you in a way that points to a Savior of grace. That our teachers would teach the kids in a way that they know your grace. That our missional communities would live that out. And just as Marie and Eric and Sue did on a hike this week, that we would each do it in our various events this week. Lord, please use us for your glory and your kingdom. Thank you for your compassion. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.